0: Good morning, and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel eight hundred two, and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu, in studio with Onel and Tabisolo Hoko and Neto Chimani. In our top stories on Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa, Ethiopia has held a memorial service for the chief of the military who was shot dead by his own bodyguard on Saturday. UN Women launched the organization's flagship report, Progress of the World's Women 2019-2020. And a Britain-based Indian rapper faces sedition charges back home for social media posts. In economics news, South Africa's Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Gordon says progress has been made relating to the unbundling of power utility ESCOM. And in sports news, South Africa's sports minister lashes out at Bafana Bafana after poor performance at the Afghan opening match against Ivory Coast. But first up, the news with Onele Nsinti.
1: Thank you, Lulu. South African-based Sudanese nationals have been protesting outside Saudi Arabia and Sudanese embassies in the capital, Pretoria. They are demanding an end to military rule and that power be handed over to the civilians in Sudan. A council of generals assumed power on April 11th, but has struggled to return to normality. To the, uh, to return the country rather to normality. Protest convener Professor Amira Uzman says the march was against foreign interference into Sudan's domestic affairs.
2: We are protesting in front of the Saudi Arabian embassy because we believe there's a lot of regional interference in the Sudan. Uh, Saudi Arabia and other countries are financing the Janjaweed, which is the militia that has now taken power in Khartoum. Uh, We also believe there's interference from the United Arab Emirates. Uh, We believe there's interference from Egypt. So we are also submitting letters of protest. Please stop supporting the Janjaweed in Sudan.
1: Separatist groups active in the English-speaking regions of Cameroon have been accused of torture and abuses against civilians. The allegations have been levelled by Human Rights Watch since the beginning of the crisis in 2016. Most Cameroonian schools have been closed due to the blockade imposed by the separatists. The crisis has already pushed more than 530,000 people out of their homes, with over 1,800 said to have been killed in a space of 20 months. In Nigeria, torture of civilians and suspects by security forces persists despite new legislation to curb such abuses. In a statement marking International Day in Support of Victims of Torture, Amnesty International says it continues to receive regular reports of torture and other human rights abuses in military and police custody. A presidential panel was also set by President Mohamedou Buhari following mass outrage and protests. Several rights bodies, including Amnesty and head Nigerian accused police and special anti-robbery squad of torture and extrajudicial executions of suspects, prompting the police to rebrand the unit in August last year. Eight people have been detained by Egyptian authorities on accusation of belonging to the Muslim Brotherhood and helping to find a plot to overthrow the state. Those being held include businessmen, journalists and political figures who have been placed in temporary detention for 15 days. Amnesty International, however, describes the arrest as politically motivated. The detentions came after the Interior Ministry said 19 businesses were raided by police on Tuesday in the capital. Cairo. The raids were in response to the business allegedly funding a plot with intent to on overthrowing the state and its institutions this month. And lastly, former U.S. Special Counsel Robert Mueller is to testify in public about his report into Russian electoral interference. This is set to pave the way for a historic television moment in which Democrats will attempt to make the case for President Donald Trump's impeachment before the American people. Mueller will appear at a back-to-back hearing on July 17 of the House Judiciary and Intelligence Committees. Trump's apparent response to the announcement came swiftly in a. A two-word tweet in which he complained without referring to Mueller of presidential harassment. Channel Africa News, I am on Africa rise
3: and shine. Africa Zorba. Africa amuka na unai.
4: remains beset by so much human suffering, poverty and deprivation. It is in your hands to make of our world a better one for all.
1: Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It is in your hands
5: to make a difference
3: Africa rise and shine.
4: Africa Africa wake up. Afrik, Afrik, Africa wake up. Afrika, Africa reveille-toi. Africa Africa Weima. Sun rising. Yo sole LED. We ya weima. What's
6: in the happen Africa? Africa. Dumelang San Bonani. Africa Munichine Mudibanj. Africa, Ian Yomi killon Africa and then kim kingume. Waiting the happen, Africa. It doesn't matter where you come from. We are one people. Channel Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is DJ Cleo with G
4: Exploits from Nigeria. Channel Africa, the voice of the African
5: Renaissance.
0: Ethiopia has held a memorial service for the chief of the military, General Siare Mekanon, who was shot dead by his own bodyguard on Saturday. The general was gunned down together with another retired military officer who was at his house at the time. The government says it will not be diverted from its efforts to bring peace and unity to the country. Koleta Wanjohi attended the memorial service in Addis Ababa and filed this report.
7: Two generals, one memorial service, Ethiopia's chief of military staff, General Sierra Mekonen, and retired General Gezai Abera, both were assassinated on Saturday. Mashu Mekonen is the son of General Sierra Mekonen.
3: My father believed in unity, transparency and working together. He was a genuine Ethiopian. The accident shouldn't have targeted him. But Ethiopia will not be destroyed. It will continue with
5: unity.
7: Kibrum Gezai is the son of retired Major General Abera
5: Gezai. <laughs> My father Yazai
6: was respectful and had a good heart. He was wise, honest, and
5: god-fearing. Yazai, taught her not and Kara Seratinya, addi sukatelemaj amar. Kulkizemyanab ya geruni hazbun neger. Erftemiasat oseunabber. Trowata kota bohalam. Yisha kimsay kello. He was too.
7: General Sierra Mekonen was named military chief of staff in July 2018 after Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed assumed power. Brahan Jula is Ethiopia's deputy military chief of
8: staff.
4: In military operations, he was a good commander. He knew how to address problems immediately. He encouraged stability. All these strength made up General Mikonen.
7: Police say the bodyguard who killed the top military officials shot himself after being confronted by two colleagues. The government says the assassination is linked to the failed coup attempt in Amhara region because the general was reportedly coordinating a response. The two fallen military officials were flown to northern Ethiopia, their home region where they were laid to rest. Back here in Addis Ababa, the hunt for anyone involved continues. I'm Koleto Anjoy, Addis
0: Ababa, Ethiopia. The Democratic Republic of Congo has applied to join the East African Community Regional Block and there is a speculation that some countries want the process of its admission fast-tracked. In a letter to the EAC, Chairman Rwanda's Paul Kagame, President Felix Chisikedi, said the reason for its application is its increased trade with the region. The application will be tabled at the next EAC Heads of the State Summit in November this year. Since his inauguration in January, President Felix Chisikedi has visited Burundi, Rwanda, Kenya, Uganda and Tanzania in a diplomatic charm offensive. So what will DRC bring to the EAC stable? Sarah Kimani reports
9: a market of 80 million people, rich in natural resources and minerals, the world's top producer and exporter of cobalt. This just some of the enticing qualities that the six-member block is eyeing. If DLC's admission is first-tracked, the ESC will be a seven-member block with a market of 260 million people. According to the ESC treaty, to qualify to be a member, a country must be geographically near any of the members and observe tenets of good governance, human rights and democracy. Dr. Duncan Onyango is an expert for East African Affairs.
4: Geographically, the people also, once we pulled in Burundi in East Africa, uh, Rwanda in East Africa, you know, in terms of nationality and identity, you can see that that is a big chunk of DRC.
9: Congo's neighbors will have their eyes set on the big market. Exports from Kenya, Uganda, Rwanda and Tanzania to the DRC stood at $1 billion last year.
4: I think uh, China is pushing DRC this way using Kenya. Uh, there is the in, in, in regional infrastructure plans, uh, for example the SGR in Kenya, that, that uh, to make it meaningful uh, even for China. Uh, we'll have to proceed to Kinshasa.
9: Challenges however remain. The east of the DRC is still battling rebels and an Ebola outbreak that has killed more than 1,200 people since last year. The bloc will also be faced with questions of Somalia's application, which has been pending since 2016, as well as civil strifes in Burundi and South Sudan who have failed to restore order even after joining the East African community. Sarah Kimani, Kenya. (laughs)
10: This is Lyra, South African Afro Soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy. Catch me on my website, www.misslira.com, or find me on Twitter, At Miss underscore Lira, that's M-I-S-S underscore L-I-R-A. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
0: Around the world, we're witnessing concerted efforts to deny women's agency and their rights to make their own decisions in the name of protecting family values. That was the message delivered by the head of UN Women at the launch of the organization's flagship report, Progress of the World's Women 2019-2020. This year's report is titled Families in a Changing World and puts forth a policy agenda to end gender inequalities within families across the globe. Show in Peace reports.
11: It's a report that acknowledges a rapidly changing world by scrutinizing the notion of what family means and urging the shaping of policies and legislation that reflects a 21st century reality. Listen to UN Women's Executive Director Dr. Pumzilem Lambunguka.
1: We actually want governments to revisit their policies in order to make sure that the policies recognize the reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the extent that uh, the definition of a family in many countries is still a narrow nuclear family, uh, two parents, children, maybe mm-hmm. and a cat. Uh, the reality is that uh, that is just true of one-third of families. There are all these other types of families. So we actually want government to disaggregate uh, the information and be granular when they make policies so that uh, we don't have two-thirds of the people in any society that are falling between the cracks because there's a one
11: size fit all uh, policy uh, uh, approach. The report confirms that families are diverse and changing and lays out the various permutations of what constitutes a family, including based on gender relations. It emphasizes the need for laws that promote equality within the family, recognizing diversity and prohibiting violence against women. It urges high-quality public services, critical for supporting families and gender equality, and calls for policies that grant women access to an adequate, independent income to underpin their rights within families, among others. We need
0: to live with the reality of diversity of families. Shara
11: Razavi is chief of research at UN Women.
0: The point of the report is not really to say we need to have one form of family or another. Human rights uh, principles don't define a particular form of family that is better or worse. The point that the report is saying is that women's rights... Women's choices, women's voices, those need to be enabled regardless of the type of family that they live in. We need to live with the reality of diversity of families and really focus on the factors that can enable women to enjoy their rights regardless of the family type. I think that's really fundamental to underline in terms of the philosophy of the report, if you like.
11: Also pointing out that for significant portions of the world's population, family law is still based wholly on religious precepts laws that are viewed as quite discriminatory towards women, ones that allow for marital rape, child marriage, and unbridled polygamy, laws that permit a husband to discipline his wife, or the triple talaq, a form of Islamic divorce that allows a Muslim man to legally divorce his wife by stating the word divorce three times in oral, written, or more recently in electronic form. Marwa Sharafeldin is a board member with the Musawa International Movement for Equality and Justice in the Muslim Family.
12: Almost all Muslim family laws in the world today are based on jurisprudence written by respected and competent classical jurists who lived many hundreds of years ago. They created these ru- legal rulings based on their own reading of Muslim scripture for their own time and place. Their jurisprudence is not divine and unchangeable. Rather, it is a human understanding of the divine, which can and should change as time goes by.
11: With a view that if families were places of equality and free of discrimination, that the sustainable development goals would be that much easier to achieve. I'm Sherman Bricepies in New York.
0: A strong push for transformation by the South African Airways Board to involve smaller players in the jet fuel procurement space was a bad idea. This is according to Head of Fuel Management at SAA, Mark Vaughan, the second witness to take the stand at the Commission of Inquiry in state capture underway in Johannesburg, South Africa. Amina Akwam reports.
12: Head of Fuel Management at SAA, Mark Vaughan, explains to the Commission how a decision to get small players involved in the jet fuel procurement space had a massive impact on the price of fuel SAA was buying. Advocate Kate Hoffmeyer leads the evidence. Would it not be cheaper for SAA to get 100% of the fuel from the oil majors?
13: Of course, most definitely, Chair. Because the small companies would be purchasing that fuel from the oil majors and I believe at the prices that SAA gets their fuel from the oil majors, the oil majors wouldn't be able to give a discount any further to a small owned entity. So they would best of be they'd have to put a markup to obviously cover their costs and to make profit.
12: Vaughan explained to Justice Zondo how EML won a bid to supply jet fuel at Pilanisburg Airport in 2017, despite not meeting the bidding requirements. In 2016, SAA wanted to procure jet fuel from an emerging business and released a set of requirements that bidding companies were supposed to have. A total of 96 parties responded to the tender and only 76 met satisfactory requirements.
13: And that would include the SMMEs, is that they would procure uh, their fuel from a refinery or that they would ship it in from overseas. So that is what it's showing over there. It would then be into storage, and then, of course, they needed to take part in the transport or contract in the transporting of that fuel, either themselves or by any other party. Um, That then would be into the storage of the airport. That is owned by AXA. There is then a pipeline or uh, a hydrant system which runs underground. Now, they call it a fuel hydrant system because that delivers fuel from the airport storage to each of the hard stands where the aircraft park.
12: SA Express Airport Coordinator Estelle Locke says procurement processes were flaunted for the supply of jet fuel at the Pilanisburg Airport in the northwest. She says they had requested over 400,000 liters of jet fuel per annum for the airport but the amount of liters to be supplied by EML was quoted as 8 million liters per annum.
2: How does the number 436,800 align? or not align with the actual operational requirement of SA Express at Pilansburg Airport? It does not align with the calculations that we did, Chee.
12: EML's jet fuel supply was irregularly expanded by SAA in 2017, resulting in the contract increasing to 2.4 billion rands. EML's fuel quality supply was also questionable and did not meet supply obligation targets. The commission resumes on Wednesday.
4: channel africa Blantyre. this is lansana Fofana reporting for channel africa from freetown reporting for channel africa in harare zimbabwe this is simon muchemwa reporting for channel africa this is moki kinzaka in-Yawundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa.
0: In Lesotho.
4: Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwai Gikonyo in Nairobi.
0: Join us every day
14: and
4: know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African
5: Renaissance.
0: South Africa's former Independent Electoral Commission Chair and Information Regulator Advocate Pansy Tlakula has been elected to serve on the United Nations Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination. The 18-person committee is responsible for monitoring the implementation of the International Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination which was adopted on December 21, 1965 and entered into force in 1969. For the past 24 years, Klakula has occupied leadership positions in independent constitutional bodies nationally and on the African continent. The positions, which she says, have equipped her with practical skills and experience to perform her functions with impartiality and without fear, favor or prejudice. Advocate Klakula spoke to Channel Africa's Kumbela Mujelele.
15: The nomination or the uh, the election of uh, South Africa into uh, the Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination is quite important because, as you know, the adoption of the International Convention on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination was inspired by South Africa, taking into consideration our history. So it is important uh, that South Africa should be represented on that committee.
6: Now, in order to make strides in curbing racism, there needs to be a multi-pronged approach to this issue. What will your priorities be when your term starts next year, Advocate?
15: Well, you should uh, recall that uh, there are 18 members of the committee. Nine of us uh, will be new or even less because some of the people who were elected Last week, uh, we're seeking re-election. So, but from my uh, point of view, I think uh, we are seeing new manifestations of racism and racial discrimination, not only here at home but also globally. Globally, I think the world is struggling with uh, the issue of migration, which. Uh, takes a a racial dimension. You will be aware that uh, migrants, particularly migrants from developing countries and migrants who are black or African continue to uh, face uh, discrimination. So this is one issue that I think the committee has to uh, pay special attention to. There is also the issue of of, uh, nationalism which is brought about by uh, people protecting their own, you know. And that uh, issue of nationalism that we see growing globally uh, gives rise to xenophobia, which is also a form of of discrimination. Thirdly, there's the issue of uh, hate speech. And hate speech uh, these days does not occur only in um, traditional media spaces. It occurs mainly in the social media space, which is very difficult to to regulate. So, I think uh, countries need uh, measures to deal with hate speech, and these measures, in my view, should include legislative measures such as hate speech laws that will criminalize hate speech and ensure that uh, action is taken for people who continue to uh, promote speech that cause violence and that cause
6: For the past 24 years, you have occupied leadership positions in independent uh, constitutional bodies nationally and on the African continent as well. Have uh, these positions held uh, in terms of equipping you with skills and experience to perform your functions with impartiality in uh, your new position at the United Nations?
15: Certainly, you will recall that uh, in 1985, I was honored and privileged to be one of the South Africans who was appointed to the South African Human Rights Commission, and that was the first. uh, We were the first commissioners of the South African Human Rights Commission. And I was the commissioner who was designated to deal with issues of racism and racial discrimination, I also attended the World Conference on Racism and Racial Discrimination, which was, based, which was held in in in, Deben in 2001, and also was part of the team that assisted our that assisted our government to negotiate the Durban Declaration and Plan of Action. That experience will stand me in good stead in the post that I, am, I have been elected to. Secondly, for 12 years, I was a member of the African Commission on Human and People's Rights sure. based in Banjulin, which is one of the organs of the AU. The working method of the African Commission is similar to the working uh, method of the Committee on the elimination of racial discrimination. Both those bodies receive state reports on measures taken to implement the rights in the, to, in, in the respective uh, charters, And uh, state parties appear before uh, these bodies and members are expected or members do engage in constructive dialogue with state parties so i've done that within the african commission context and i have also for the 12 years when i was in the african commission also examined and looked at communication or complaints of human rights as they are called so i will be doing the same type kind of job so i will be able to get into the committee and hit the ground running, so to speak, because I have experience uh, in the work that uh, the committee is doing
6: why do you think that there has been a slow progress when it comes to enacting a strong legislation so that should ensure that racists are locked away because we have been talking about this issue here in south africa for a long time and yet we see racism in the country rearing its ugly head
15: well i think it's just believing in humanity that we thought that uh, you know we could change people's uh, minds uh, through public awareness, through dialogue, and that uh, that will sort of uh, eliminate racism and racial discrimination. It hasn't, although we have to accept that we have made we have made progress. But for as long as there are no consequences for racial utterances, they will continue. That is why it's important for South Africa to adopt a a hate speech legislation. And I'm hoping that Parliament will expedite the adoption of that law. But having said that, I also have to say that as the former Special Rapporteur on Freedom of Expression and Access to Information in Africa, we have to ensure that the legislation that we adopt does not suppress freedom of of, of expression so we need to adopt uh, legislation that is balanced that will uh, keep a balance between hate speech and also uh, allow uh, uh, free expression as well
0: as advocate pansy takula newly elected member of the united nations committee on the elimination of racial discrimination speaking to kumbele Headlines up next with Onelin Sensi.
1: Saudi-led forces in Yemen capture the leader of Islamic State militants in the country. Nigerian security forces continue to torture suspects despite new legislation to curb such abuses. And the Democrats approve a $4.5 billion aid package to address the migrant surge along the border with Mexico. Channel African News, I am on Sinti.
3: Africa rise and shine.
4: Africa, Africa wake up. Africa, Africa reveille toi. Africa, Africa we Sun rising. The are wema We are
6: What's in the happen Africa? Africa, dumelang, sanbonani. Africa Africa, Africa. you Africa What's in the happen Africa? It doesn't matter where you come from. Lesotho, Kenya, Zambia, Ghana, Nigeria. Nigeria, Tanzania, Congo, Liberia, Togo, Ethiopia, DRC, Zimbabwe, Senegal,
4: Sierra Leone, Liberia.
6: It doesn't matter where you're from. We are, we are one people. Channel Africa. The African
1: perspective. Trade-
6: This is DJ Cleo with G-Exploits from Nigeria.
4: Channel Africa,
1: bringing you the African perspective.
0: Humanitarian aid workers in Cameroon say that they are scared after several consignments of aid meant for people in the troubled English-speaking regions were attacked and burned by suspected separatists. The rebels say they will never accept any assistance brought in by the military, which the government of Cameroon insists is only escorting the convoys to protect aid workers. Mookie Kinzaka reports from Yaoundé.
4: In a social media video, suspected rebels armed with guns and machetes set fire to shipments of food, bedding, and medicine. At least six similar videos circulated online in the past week showing armed men destroy aid seized on its way to the country's English-speaking regions. Cameroonian rebels on social media claim responsibility for the attacks. In one video, the attackers say they will never allow what they call poisoned humanitarian aid from Cameroon's President Paul Biya. Christian Ezeleko is with the Martin Luther Jr. King Memorial Foundation Cameroon, Luke Mef, one of the aid groups whose shipment was destroyed.
3: More and more, we see
4: humanitarian actors being attacked or being threatened or misrepresented as either... ...working against the state or working with the state. They work to uh, relieve the suffering of the population. They do not side with any party to the conflict. They respect at all times the principle of neutrality and impartiality. For Peter Shea is with Cameroon Rights Watch. He says the attacks on aid workers increased after April 14... ...when the government sent 55 truckloads of assistance with a military escort and troops to distribute it. When you look at the atrocities that are being meted out to the population in these areas, the military is the prime suspect. The burning of the houses, they say it is the handiwork of the military. And many people in these areas believe the government is not doing enough to call for dialogue, which people think can be a headway to solving this problem. Cameroon's Territorial Administration Minister Paul Atanganji says the military will continue to protect aid convoys and the population. The President of the Republic instructed us to intensify the distribution of humanitarian aid, to put in place mechanisms so that the locally affected population can put in place strategies to be self-reliant. Aid workers could not confirm the number of recent attacks or quantity of items destroyed but said it was huge and could only bring more suffering to the English-speaking population. Cameroon authorities have accused international aid groups of exaggerating the conflict in the country's two English-speaking regions to scorn its efforts. The government says there are 152,000 internally displaced in the two English-speaking regions, and two-thirds are receiving aid. The United Nations says at least 1,800 people have been killed and more than half a million displaced since 2017 when Anglophone rebels began fighting for independence, citing second-class treatments from Cameroon's French-speaking majority. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzuka in Yawundi. The world remains beset by so much human suffering, poverty, and deprivation. It is in your hands to make of our world a better one for all.
1: Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It is in your hands to make a difference.
0: South African-based Sudanese nationals have been protesting outside the Saudi Arabia and Sudanese embassies in Pretoria. Protesters are demanding an end to military rule and that power be handed over to civilians. A council of generals assumed power on April the 11th but has failed to return normalcy to the country. This after the council removed long-time President Omar al-Bashir from office following months of protests and unrest. Maluti Obuseng reports. The seven-member
16: transitional military council, TMC, led by Lieutenant General Abdel Fattah Abdel Rahman Bukhan, faced international condemnation this comes after launching violent attacks on protesters in khartoum on the 3rd of june claiming 30 lives protest convener professor amira osman says the situation in sudan is out of hand
2: it's very true we personally know people who are at the site of the sit-in we know people who have relatives that have died at the site of the sit-in The the official number from the Sudanese uh, Medical uh, Council, I can't remember the name of the organization, but it's an organization of Sudanese doctors. It's over 100 people have been killed. But remember, there were also a lot of homeless children that were accommodated at the site of the sit-in. There were a lot of street children at the site of the sit-in. And unfortunately, uh, a lot of that site was burnt to the ground. A lot of bodies were thrown into the Nile.
16: Palestine Solidarity Campaign South Africa supported the Sudanese Nationals Protest March. Professor Salim Vali says it is time Africa unite to ensure democracy prevails in the continent.
12: I think
6: it's absolutely important that we support the Sudanese call for democracy, for freedom, for peace and for justice and oppose a military regime who has denied the most basic rights to the people of Sudan. Uh, We understand that uh, as people from Africa, we need to have solidarity with each other.
16: Professor Osman feder says the march is against foreign interference into Sudan domestic affairs.
2: We are protesting in front of the Saudi Arabian embassy because we believe there's a lot of regional interference in the Sudan. Uh, Saudi Arabia and other countries are financing the Janjaweed, which is the militia that has now taken power in Khartoum. Uh, We also believe there's interference from the United Arab Emirates. Uh, We believe there's interference from Egypt. So we are also submitting letters of protest. Please stop supporting the Janjaweed in Sudan.
16: The toppled al Bashir is currently standing trial in Sudan. However, these protesters say he must be handed over to International Criminal Court in the Hague. I am ubu Ubuseng in Pretoria.
13: It's not
0: Britain-based Indian rapper Hardh Kaur faces sedition charges back home for her political posts on social media. The hip-hop artist stands her ground, but the police action has reignited a debate on the growing intolerance of India's right-wing BJP party, which warns it shall not entertain criticism on or off the stage. Rana Sen, this Report. <laughs>
5: The 40-year-old artist labelled the BGP party's hardline boss Mohan Bhagwat a terrorist. But should she go to jail for life just for that? Asked Supreme Court lawyer Sanjay Hegre. We live in a democratic country where you can criticize the prime minister or the chief minister. Worse things have been said about several prime ministers and chief ministers who are much greater than the current men of straw. They had the good sense to let things go, go away. They didn't threaten everybody with arrest. You are running not a constitutional government, but you want to run a police state. The rapper, also called Yogi Adityanath, a rape man. The trigger-happy Hindu monk is chief minister of a BJP-ruled lawless state. Prashant Bhushan champions a human rights campaign against the right-wing party. Today, the organization which is fanning hatred across the country, which is inciting violence across the country, which has promoted lynch mobs, is today saying that anybody who criticizes that organization or the leaders of that organization organization are offending the members of that organization and therefore they should be arrested. That is absolutely absurd in a democracy. It's a gross abuse of the law of sedition that is going on. It's a gross abuse of our democratic rights that is going on. And it is high time that it is stopped. India's Supreme Court in several rulings has cautioned governments against using the British era law to muzzle criticism recalled opposition leader Adil Singh Boparai. There is an acknowledgement today that we have to move forward. We have to evolve. There may have been mistakes in the past, but today I think the time is ripe and we are grappling with a fascist government today. This is a fascist government which does not leave any scope for dissent. This is a government which rules through propaganda, which rules through surveillance. And I think the time is ripe, and I again reiterate it, to have a rethink on all such provisions. We have to evolve as a mature democracy. We cannot have such provisions on our statute. But hardcore Akatarankor Dhrilon couldn't care less. For her... The party has just begun. This is Zahna Sen, reporting from New Delhi.
0: Economics Updates up next with Tabi Solohoku.
3: Good morning. I'm Tabi Solohoku. A corporate watchdog as the Benchmark Foundation has lambasted basted a crow mine for failing to provide essential food and water for more than 280 mine workers who embarked on an underground sit-in at the mines operations near Rustenburg in South Africa's northwest province. Workers downed tools last week in solidarity with a female colleague who was allegedly sexually assaulted by a member of mine management. A case of sexual assault has been registered with police. Workers are demanding the immediate suspension of the alleged perpetrator. Security officials have refused to accept food or water that family members have provided. A benchmark foundations that David van Weeg elaborates.
8: I'm I'm very worried about the workers underground simply because they also—they there might be some of them that might be on chronic medication. You know, amongst mine workers, that is frequently the case, and uh, which means that they don't have access to that chronic medication. Also, you know, so you can actually have a very serious deterioration of the health of some of those workers as well. Those workers should insist that be allowed to get access to food and water.
3: South Africa's Communications Workers' Union, CWU, says it will be meeting with multi-choice this morning on the announced retrenchment of over 2,000 workers. The broadcaster announced it would be retrenching workers to keep up with economic and technological developments. Most of those who could be retrenched work at call centres and customer care facilities. CWU's Secretary General Aubrey Shabalala says that they want to make sure everything has been done to save jobs.
15: Management of uh, multi invited us into a Section 189 process meeting, which is guided by law in terms of the retrenchment. And uh, we have then simultaneously they spoken to workers about uh, the intention to retrench. So uh, the number there is over 2,000. who have then requested an agent uh, intervention meeting
3: with the CEO of his executive team. Robots could do away with up to 20 million jobs across the globe by 2030. Consulting group Oxford Economics says robots are moving out of factories and into service industries, making it difficult for low-skilled workers, made redundant, to find employment elsewhere. The organization, however, says increased automation will boost productivity and economic growth The Central Bank of Egypt has launched an initiative for training African banking cadres in Egypt. A statement by the bank says that the initiative is launched in line with the directives by President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi for boosting cooperation with African countries. It is carried out by the Central Bank's Egyptian Banking Institute in cooperation with the African Bank for import and export. U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is in India for a series of meetings which will include talks with Prime Minister Narendra Modi. There have been recent disagreements between the United States and India on trade and defence, as the BBC's Rajini Vaidyanathan reports.
9: Indian officials say the two nations have never been closer, but there are plenty of sticking points
15: as Mr. Pompeo visits the country. Trade between the two major economies is one concern. India recently imposed retaliatory tariffs on a range of American goods, including almonds and apples, after the U.S. hiked customs duties on certain steel and aluminium products. India's defence and energy relationship with Iran and Russia also puts it at odds with America.
3: Indicators, the Sawa. The US dollar is trading at 358.36 Nigerian Naira, 10.52 Botswana Pula, 100 Kenyan Shilling 74 cents, and 12.97 Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies, one US dollar will cost you 383 Brazilian Roll, 65.21 Russian Ruble, 69.31 Indian Rupee. And six eighty-eight Chinese yuan, fourteen thirty-two South African rand, seventy-eight pence British pound, eighty-seven cents Euro, gold one thousand four zero six dollars, platinum, eight zero five dollars pounds. The price of Brent crude oil is at sixty-five dollars eighty-eight cents a barrel. I'm Tabi Sorohoku from your favorite channel.
0: Our sports updates up next with Neto Chimani.
14: Thank you Lulu from the Sports Desk. A very good morning. Starting off with Football News. The Nigeria Football Federation has confirmed receiving part of the money approved by the federal government for participation of some national teams in international competitions, including Super Eagles' participation at the ongoing 32nd Africa Cup of Nations in Egypt. NFF's acting president, Barista Sei Akinomi, says that the federation received part of the money yesterday and had immediately launched the process to convert the sum to American dollars, To pay the players their only outstanding entitlement, the win bonus for the match against Burundi in Alexandria on Saturday evening and for subsequent matches. Akinomi further thanked President Mohamedou Buhari for his keen interest in resolving this matter quickly. In women's football, a last-minute Leake Martins penalty took the Netherlands through to the Women's World Cup quarterfinals last night as they joined Italy in the last eight, confirming Europe's supremacy at the tournament and ending Asian interest already. The Dutch scraped past Japan 2-1 to set up a quarter-final on Saturday in Valenciennes against the Italians, who had beaten China 2-0 earlier in the day, thanks to goals from, the, from Valentina Giancidi and Aurora Galli. Those results mean seven of the eight quarterfinals in France are European, with holders and favorites the United States the sole exception. On to cricket news. In South African cricket, Bishab Haifeld Lions and Josie Stars' strength and conditioning coach Nandi Jiali has revealed that head coach Inok Nguye has been the mastermind behind the Gaudeng-based side's success last season. The Lions won two trophies, CSA T20 Challenge and four-day franchise series in Nguye's debut season. Meanwhile, the 36-year-old coach also managed to lead the Josie Stars to the inaugural Mzanzi Super League title. Jali credits Nguye's leadership skills.
8: Wow, uh, this year's has been has been quite awesome. Yeah, uh, he's brought a lot of calmness, a lot of connective energy in, in terms of team environment. The whole, not whole management but majority of the management was new and then we all different people from different backgrounds but the way he set things up and just made it so easy to gel has been really good in this team a while I've noticed and then secondly he's a very good overseer of things he makes sure he touches base with all the different departments so whether it be in the fitness or it be in the injury and physio, whether it be batting bowling, all of that he's very good at touching base and making sure things are on track so you're always staying on your toes, yeah, he's making you stay on your toes the whole time. Those are the things I've experienced and enjoyed working with them this year, yeah.
14: The Lions players recently returned for pre-season training following a month layoff at the end of last season. Jali, who was recently with the CSA Academy and the SA Emerging Teams at the CSA Centre of Excellence in Pretoria, the country's capital city, explains the reasons and the aims behind a successful pre-season.
8: Firstly, the Bezabah Haifat Lions, the last game was probably in the final, uh, which was the 5th of May, if I recall properly. They got off a good window of about five weeks of pure rest. And then the other teams who finished earlier, so your semi-professional team and your academy teams and your under-19s and so on, they finished a touch earlier. So they started training and being tested a little bit earlier than that. So it's 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 been tough in terms of restarting everything because I mean there's a lot of testing a lot of numbers involved that you have to record and uh, analyze so that's been the tough part but besides that things have been going well on a day-to-day basis yeah.
14: For Channel Africa Sport I'm Nedo and ETO Chemani. More sports news in the next hour.
3: Africa Rise and Shine Africa Zura Africa Amka Na Unai
0: Recapping our top stories on Africa rise and shine at the Sawa, Ethiopia has held a memorial service for the chief of the military, General Seare Mekanon, who was shot dead by his own bodyguard on Saturday. And UN Women launched the organization's flagship report, Progress of the World's Women 2019-2020. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Tracy Bumgard. Technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.org or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news and on DSTV's audio bouquet, Channel 802, and on www.channelafrica.co.za is Malibongwe.